As we celebrate Easter and the victorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we need to realize that the cross was not the only way he suffered. So how high a price did Christ pay for our sins? Stay tuned. Here was one who was born in order to die. Not that he had sin to pay for of his own, because he was sinless. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we find John the Baptist baptizing people in the wilderness. In verse 29, he sees Jesus and proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Hebrews 9.12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. We as Christians know that the blood of Christ was shed for us on a cross at a place called Calvary. Stay with us for the next 15 minutes as we look at the crucifixion from a medical and spiritual perspective and learn a little bit more about what our Lord Jesus Christ endured for all of us. Dr. John Whitcomb is president of Christian Workmen Schools of Theology. He tells us that being the sacrifice for sin was the reason Jesus came to earth. Here was one who was born in order to die. Not that he had sin to pay for of his own, because he was sinless. It wasn't just a tragedy. A good man dying for a worthy cause, a helpless victim of circumstances over which he had no control. No, Isaiah put it this way, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Isaiah 52:13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. In other words, he'll be a success, not a failure. It's a victory, not a tragedy. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high, anticipating, of course, his bodily resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and his exaltation above the whole universe. Jesus lived on earth 33 and a half years before that fateful night when Judas Iscariot betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. After the Roman soldiers took Jesus away from the Garden of Gethsemane, he was put on trial. Dr. David Menton is Associate Professor Emeritus at Washington University School of Medicine. First of all, the, the trial can be said to have violated nearly every law and principle of both Jewish and Roman justice. And after uh, going through all of this, the trial was held at the wrong time of day. In fact, at night, uh, didn't have the proper witnesses. The accusations that were brought against him were clearly trumped up, and he was brought before Pontius Pilate virtually without a conviction, and still his accusers demanded that Jesus be executed by crucifixion. But before Jesus was finally condemned to death, he was scourged brutally. We can't compare Roman scourging to the sort of maybe lashes we've seen on TV and movies of ships at sea, somebody getting 20 lashes or something, and they have little red stripes on their back and are in a fair amount of pain. In this case, think of a stump uh, about two feet high that might be a foot or so in diameter, and the person to be scourged was bent over this stump, so the chest rested on the top of the stump, and then there were rings big heavy steel rings at the base of the stump and the uh, wrists and the ankles were then lashed to these rings so the back sort of formed a, a curvature at the top and then scourging was done by typically two Roman soldiers one on each side 
What was the weapon used during this brutal process? The whips that they used were short-handled with leather thongs, and on the end of the thongs were approximately acorn-sized lead weights. And then the two soldiers would take turns lashing the person over the stump, in this case, our Lord and Savior. And the reason for using two people is it gave the person being scourged no rest between blows. The blows came quickly. It gave the soldiers doing the scourging a chance to kind of get ready for their next blow without interruption. And, of course, it tended to promote the zeal of the scourgers by having them take turns, each perhaps trying to outdo the other. Did people actually survive this kind of torture? The end result of such scourging is almost too dreadful to describe Given the weights that were on the end of the leather thongs, it was not at all uncommon for people to die from the scourging. Certainly, almost any kind of scourging, the person who endured it, if not dead, would be extremely weakened. It wasn't uncommon for these lead pieces to uh, lacerate not only through the muscles of the back, right down to the bones of the ribs, but people would occasionally die uh, from scourging because... In some cases, the lacerations went all the way down between the ribs through the muscles and into the lungs. And this is the preliminary to our Lord's crucifixion. In spite of all this, the angry Jewish mob cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! So Pilate washed his hands, and Christ was sentenced to death. Those who were crucified were forced to bear their own cross and carry it to the site of crucifixion. Jesus was so weakened from probably loss of blood, from the beating of his scourging, even having thorns driven into his head would have caused blood to flow into his eyes. And all of this would just make it very difficult for him to even see where he was going. Dr. Menton explains the details of the crucifixion. The individual to be crucified, in this case our Lord, was laid down on his back on top of the cross and nails were driven uh, either through the hands or through the wrist. Uh, the feet were also nailed to a kind of a step that was about two to three feet from the ground when the cross was put in place. If you can imagine, once somebody is nailed to the cross, then the cross was brought upright by a bunch of soldiers, and then the end put into the hole. It would hit the bottom of the hole, which was no doubt two three feet deep, with a sudden thud, and that would be the first real introduction to the pain of hanging from the cross. Prophesying Christ's crucified body, Isaiah 52.14 tells us, His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. The body was stripped. There were no modesty cloths. Blood would have been everywhere, rolling down from Jesus' skull, from the holes in the hands, from the holes in the feet, blood from the back, from the scourging, and flies would have been all over the body. And when a crucified person finally died, in most cases, it was from suffocation. You have to understand a little bit about the biomechanics, I guess, of breathing to understand why this was such an incredibly slow and, and dreadful death. We take air into our lungs in part by increasing the size of our chest cavity, and we have muscles that are attached to the ribs that elevate and pull the ribs up. And when one is hanging by one's hands, whether nailed or not, there's an upward pull on our ribs, so it's sort of like we're already 
inhaled. And it also makes it more painful to pull a diaphragm muscle down, which is another muscle used in breathing that goes across the base of our lungs because our uh, abdomen is all stretched out, hanging on the cross. And this would eventually catch up with people. Slowly, slowly, their head would then hang forward. And as their head would go forward, the clavicle bones, which are the collar bones, would sort of be right there and would strangle us in the throat and the gradual inability to breathe. And one could help the breathing by pushing with the legs, you see, to lift the body, to take some of that weight off the arms. But as you got weaker, your legs wouldn't be able to push up. But Dr. Menzen points out that Jesus died willingly. You know, none of us, when we die, really give up our own spirit, our own soul. The Lord takes it, but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave up his ghost, gave up his life, and died on the cross before all to see, and it was evident to all the people in the time that he was truly dead. As horrible and inhumane the physical sufferings were that Christ went through for us, we need to remember also the incredible spiritual torment he endured. Dr. Tim LaHaye is a noted author and ICR co-founder. I don't think that most Christians realize the extent of his suffering since he was God in human flesh, and particularly in relationship to the separation of his father. When, when he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It came from the solar plexus of his very being because he had never been separated from God before and he had done nothing wrong. The Bible makes it very clear that he took the cup, which was our sin, and drank that cup. But deity being separated from deity, that's beyond me. I can only refer to it. I can't really explain it. It just goes beyond any human emotion that we could imagine. And for the last three hours on the cross, Darkness fell over all the land as Christ took our sins upon himself. Dr. Whitcomb. That was God's way of saying, for the sake of mankind in their sin, I have temporarily turned away from my son. And uh, Christ acknowledged that his father had turned away from him because he became sin, not a sinner, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus paid that price for our sins, yours and mine, friend, that we could never pay, and cried out to that effect, it is finished, he meant, it is finished. There's nothing more you and I can do to pay for our sin to earn salvation by human merit and works and efforts and energy, which is characteristic of most religions in the whole world today, that we somehow have to contribute, somehow have to participate in a work that only the Son of God could do. And the work Jesus did was finalized when he victoriously arose from the dead three days later. He raised up his own body, the Bible says. The power of death could not hold him. And so the resurrection of Christ from the dead is the proof that his work was finished, that he was who he claimed to be. Dr. LaHaye. I think the angels captioned the whole thing when they said to the women, He is not here. He has risen, as he said, and things happened as Jesus said, because he was God. Everything he predicted has come to pass. And one of the predictions that he had made several times was that he would be buried in the earth like Jonah, and after three days he would arise again. And the whole reason for Christ's coming to earth to suffer and die was so that we could escape the everlasting punishment for our sin in the lake of fire. 
Dr. Whitcomb. Friends, it is the reality of how God met his infinite demand, you see, for holiness by a perfect sacrifice, which we are simply invited graciously by God's mercy and love to accept and to believe and to rest upon forever. Friend, you and I need him. We need him now. Dr. LaHaye. The unique thing about it is that we don't have to do anything for it. It's not by works of righteousness which we do, but according to his mercy. And one of the repeated responses I get from usually educated people that I witness to on a plane somewhere is they say, well, hey, that's too easy. You know, I just call on the name of the Lord and I say, no, it wasn't too easy. Jesus paid it all. It's easy to you, but it cost him everything. Thank you for joining us on today's broadcast on the science of the crucifixion. It is our prayer that you are informed and blessed by the program. But more importantly, we want you to know Christ as your Savior. You can email us at radio at icr.org. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.